Thank you for listening to Embassy City Church's audio podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message and His Word today. For more information on our church, please visit us at embassycity.com. John chapter number 16, we've been in a series entitled The Tortoise uh, Versus the Hare. How many people were here last week to hear my friend Katie Kazadi? Absolutely amazing message that she spoke. My dad came home and he said, well, son, I missed you, uh, but Katie uh, basically owned the series like she's the one that's been doing it every single week. And I heard the message on the podcast, and if you haven't, you should go listen to it. It was absolute gold, Okay. And so we're ending the series on tortoise versus the hare. If you've never heard the analogy, the short brief summation is that a turtle raced a rabbit. The rabbit should have won, but it didn't. The turtle won because it had a consistent pace. And there's a pace of grace that God wants us to be able to walk uh, in so that we can accomplish and be fulfilled in everything he's called us to do without being exhausted, tired, frustrated, and frazzled because we're at a pace that's unsustainable. The first week that I taught was called um, God Walks. The second week was Jesus Walks. Uh, Katie uh, talked last week about, uh, was it adjusting your pace or? You were here, right? What was it? Finishing the race? Adjusting your pace was the name of the message. Y'all need to write it down. Take notes, nerds. Okay, that was a quiz. This weekend uh, is the Holy Spirit walks. I feel like God wanted me to deal with uh, 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 the pace that we see manifested uh, in uh, the Trinity, that God walks, that we saw that in the Old Testament, that Jesus walked, we saw that in the physical manifestation, but we also understand and will know today that the Holy Spirit walks. So I want to read uh, John chapter number 16 in just one verse, actually verse number 13. And I want you to see uh, what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. He speaks of him starting in John chapter number 14. He speaks of him in 15. And he's wrapping up his description of him in chapter um, 16. But here's what he says in verse number 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide, underline that word, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. I'm going to read that first sentence again. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit walks. As Jesus was coming to the end of his earthly ministry and he is preparing them for his death and resurrection, he also begins to share with them that uh, uh, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm sending someone else after me. There's going to be someone else that comes. His name is the Holy Spirit, and he's the one that is going to be your advocate. He is the one that is going to convict the world of its sins, but he's also going to guide you. He's going to lead you into all truth. This word in the Greek literally by definition, has to do with actually leading someone into knowledge, leading them into the truth, guiding them. So as we understand in Jesus' life, he walked his entire earthly ministry. He had never ran anywhere. He's now preparing us 
for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And here's what he says about him. Just so you all know, he's a walker too. I'm going to send someone. I've been with you, but I'm going to send someone to live in you. And just so you know, he is a walker too. He's going to guide you into all truth. Has anybody in here that's ever been on a tour of any kind? A tour through a museum, a tour through a forest, a tour through a mall. You've ever been on a tour, okay? Did the tour guide grab you by the wrist and run you through the tour? Oh, I'm so glad you're here. This museum is great. Come with me and run you around. This is great over here. This is great over here. This is great over here. And this is great over here. No. Literally, what they do is they guide you. They, 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 they go at a pace that is sustainable. Why? Because they want to explain things along the way. If the Holy Spirit is going to lead us and guide us into truth, he's going to have to explain a lot of things along the way. Anybody in here besides me been in a relationship with God long enough to know I need some things explained along the way? Holy Spirit, can you tell me exactly what you meant by this? Can you explain to me why I had to go through this circumstance in my life? Do you really understand what I'm going through or it, what, what is going on? And he will lead you and guide you into that truth. Under divine inspiration, here is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. I'm going to read it in the NLT, which might not be as familiar as KJV. I'm going to read them both. For we live by believing and not by seeing. King James has it in the way that we all know. We, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Katie masterfully talked about last week the fact that every time you see Paul refer to a race or running or a marathon, endurance in, uh, in his writings, they are all metaphors for walking. When he talks about finishing a race, he's not talking about winning it and trying to beat somebody. He's talking about the fact that I accomplished it. And I finished it. We walk by faith. We don't run by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. So there's three points to this message. I want you to write these down. Point number one, we follow the Holy Spirit. We follow the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a spirit-filled church. We believe, we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit here. But this is also a spirit-led church. I want you to understand that there is a difference between being spirit-filled and spirit-led. I was born and raised in charismatic Pentecostal circles, and, and, and they rejoiced all the time at being spirit-filled. They loved to talk about the Holy Ghost. They love to talk about being spirit-filled. But a lot of these incredibly excited and exuberant spirit-filled people were very rarely spirit-led people. You can be happy to be filled with something, but if you never submit to the leading and prompting of the person of the Holy Spirit, why rejoice about something you have if you're never going to listen to him? Why run around the church and do 13 laps if you're going to leave me? 
I'm happy to have you, but you don't get to address my bitterness. I'm keeping that for myself. You can't change my personality. This is just the way I am. I know that you've come in to govern my life, but I want you to understand, I'm happy to have you, but I'll bring you out when I want, not when you want. I'm here to tell you, we're not just a spirit-filled church here. We are spirit-led. There is a lot of things I would have loved to have done since we have planted this church that the Holy Spirit was like, don't do that. It never even made it to a meeting with our elders. I'm in prayer like, oh, this is going to be a great idea. The Holy Spirit is like, yeah, no, it's not a great idea. And I'm like, okay, well, I appreciate you. You're pretty awesome. Why? Because it's actually his church. This is not my church. Every time somebody says, and remember, I'm already a literal person. Every time somebody says, oh, man, yeah, 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 your church is great. And I'm like, <laughs> thank you. It's not mine. It literally is not my church. We can only do here what the Holy Spirit's leading us to do. We have had people leave this church because we didn't do what they wanted to see done here. And I was like, bye. No offense, but I can't do what you want. I have to do what he wants. When he wants it. How he wants it. The way he wants it. It's not just about being spirit-filled. We have to be spirit-led. Point number two, write this down. The Holy Spirit doesn't follow us. <laughs> I want you to write this down underneath it. I'm going to explain it. Ambition versus burden. Ambition versus burden. This is Acts chapter number 16. I want to read something to you and I'll give you some context to it. This is Paul's second missionary journey. Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra where there was a young disciple named Timothy. Uh-oh. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. Uh, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit, get this, had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia, but again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. I love verse 10. So we decided to leave from Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Ambition. Versus burden. I'm going to share something with you, and I don't know if you've ever thought about it or processed it in this way, but I have Bible to back this up. There is no such thing 
as good ambition. God doesn't give his believers ambition. He gives his believers burdens. Ambition starts in the heart of man, must be sustained by the heart of man, must be accomplished by the strength of man. A burden starts in the heart of God, is sustained by God, and is accomplished by God. Now, for all of my very driven people in the room, high-achieving people in the room, this is jacking you up. You are sitting here rebuking me in your mind right now. The devil is a lie. I am a go-getter in Jesus' name, and you will not stop me. I'm not trying to stop you. But what I'm telling you is, all of your aspirations must be submitted to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Paul has this radical conversion in Acts chapter number 9. He is ready to go preach the gospel everywhere. He is ready to go from Syria all the way to Spain, over 3,000 miles of territory that he wants to win for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants to take the gospel from Egypt to Macedonia, over 1,100 miles of territory to reach people with the message of Jesus Christ. And guess what? That is an awesome and incredible ambition to have. Unless God is saying, I don't want you to do that. Which leads me to the most dangerous form of ambition, godly ambition. Hear me, godly ambition is the most dangerous form of ambition. Let me give you my definition of godly ambition. It's when you choose to do something for God that he never said he wanted to do through you. Selah. I'm going to say it again. Godly ambition is when you choose to do something for God that he never said he wanted to do through you. The only time you can find the word ambition in any stretch of the imagination in a positive form is in Romans chapter number 15, verse 20, where Paul said, it is my ambition to plant churches where no other uh, churches have been planted. Paul wanted to go all the way to Spain. He didn't get a chance to. Paul's like, I'm a go-getter. I'm, I'm going to preach the gospel. And he gets ready to go to this territory. And what does Scripture say? The Holy Spirit prevented him. Now, why would you want to prevent somebody from going to preach the gospel? The Holy Spirit's like, oh, yeah, I have a plan for that region, but not through you. Stop. I don't want you to go there. But I'm super apostle. I wrote the book of Romans. Give me a break. There's nobody as smart as me. You're not sending Peter? Let me go, God. Here's the Holy Spirit. No. I don't want you to go there. You'll raise up and disciple of somebody like Timothy, and he'll go to those areas of Asia. I know you have a desire, but I don't have to do everything through you. I have something that I just need you to do in this space, and if you just do what you do, I can do what I do. I've seen a lot of people, a lot of churches, a lot of pastors with incredibly great intentions get themselves, their staff, their volunteer, their entire congregation into ministry endeavors that ultimately fail because it sounded good, but it wasn't God. I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, 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 there is one O that separates good 
from God. There are good ideas, and there are God ideas. And you will ultimately know if it's a good idea or a God idea when you get halfway through it and have to cough up the other O. You ever been doing something for God that you got halfway through and went, oh, I don't think this was Jesus. Oh, I don't think we were supposed to do this now. Oh, I don't think we should have stretched that far financially. Oh, I don't think he meant to make me a traveling preacher now because we live in the car. The difference between a good idea and a God idea is one extra O. So slow down. Get confirmation through his word. Get confirmation through prayer. Get confirmation through a multitude of counselors. We have... um, Galen Lachey and uh, his wife Susan here, who are elders of uh, Embassy City Church. Corey Miller uh, is also one of the elders of our church. Preston Morrison uh, is too. Along with myself as a senior elder, we govern and and ask the Holy Spirit the direction that the church should go in. It's a pastor-led church. God speaks to me about the, the direction we're supposed to be going, but the elders help me clarify God's word about the direction. You should be really happy for that. What that means is I don't hop out of bed, scratch my leg, and go, you know what? I think it's time to do a conference. Tomorrow. It's going to be great. Call all the volunteers. The Holy Ghost is on me. I feel this strong. God is saying do a conference now. Souls are dying. We got to do a conference right Now, I feel it strong on me. There's a fire like Jeremiah burning in my bones. If I call the elders today and tell them that, they're going to be like, yeah, hey, so hey. Hey, that's great. Hey, we love you. I'm not sure he meant tomorrow Monday. Maybe he means a Monday. But I can almost guarantee you it's not tomorrow. Now, here's my response. Okay, then, maybe it's not tomorrow. The elders are the voice of God in my life. They hear from the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to get in an argument with them. No, it's not. It's tomorrow. And if you stand in front of me, you're standing in front of God himself. That's a Moses complex. That leads to manipulation. That leads to control. I'm tired of the Holy Spirit being blamed for man's ambitious endeavors. I'm tired of seeing volunteers ran into the ground trying to chase a man's vision. Revival for 12 weeks. No, I have a family. You do a revival for 12 weeks. I'm going on a date with my wife. It's time to see Black Panther again. What are we? T- 
There are so many people ambitious about ministry. God is calling me to the nations. All of them. All of them know. All of them. Everything. All, all the, you're going to go to all, all the nations? All of them. When are you going to have time? All of them? All of them? He's calling me to a worldwide ministry. The whole world going to know you? The whole world. The whole world? The whole world. The whole, again, I'm a literalist. So when people say stuff, I have a worldwide ministry. How, though? How, though? How? How? There's somebody in Bangladesh. They never heard of you. So how? How do you have a, I don't know how. How? Just tell me how. Calm down. God doesn't need you to do everything. He just needs you to do what he told you to do. And I hope you get this revelation. That's enough. There are people in ministry that don't feel like they've done enough. Do you know Jesus never went as far as his apostles did? And he was Jesus. Here's what he said. Greater works are you going to do? I'm going home. I'm done. I'm tired of y'all. Three and a half years. I died for you. Hung, bled, and died. Guess what I'm doing? I'm going to go sit next to my dad. You know what y'all can do? Y'all can go do the rest of this stuff. Go preach in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Get to Irving. Get to South Lake. Get to Kansas. Get to Kentucky. Get to Malaysia. Get to the Philippines. Y'all get there. Incrementally, over time, based on the grace that I've placed in you. And if you do it the way that I've called you to do it, you will not lose your marriage, your children, your family, your friends, your character, or integrity in the process. Walk, don't run. Point number three, write this down. Give the Holy Spirit his position back. I had to do it because I put an exclamation mark. So if I had a period, I could have said, give the Holy Spirit his position back. But I put an exclamation mark. So give the Holy Spirit his position back, okay? I want you to pay close attention to Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Here's what it says. So I say, let the Holy Spirit, there's that word again, guide your lives. He's actually exhorting you and encouraging you to take on the Holy Spirit's pace, okay? Let me tell you what happens if you let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Here's what it says. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Do you know most people that indulge in their sinful nature or always give in to their sinful nature are running at some place in their lives relationally, emotionally? The sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants to do. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, here's the roll call. The results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition. Uh-oh. Out of all the things to write, Paul. Thank you for supporting point two. Dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins. Wild parties always cracks me up every time I see that in there. It's like, 
what constitutes wild, you know? <laughs> that that made it just <laughs> envy, like hostility, lustful pleasures, wild parties. Okay, Paul. And other sins like these, okay? Let me tell you again, as I had before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Just, I'm going to just name this fruit, and you tell me if any of it sounds rushed. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law, such, there's no law against such these things. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. This is a powerful 10 verses, and here's why. Most people that are that are running at a pace that is unsustainable, it's because they're in the driver's seat. They've actually taken the position of the Holy Spirit. What they've done is told the Holy Spirit, you can come into my life and you can come along for the ride. But I'm in charge. Now what we would usually say in this analogy is, let the Holy Spirit back in the driver's seat. But here's what I really feel like the Holy Spirit saying, get out of the car and let's walk. I don't want to be in the driver's seat of your life. I want to get out of the car, period. Let's walk. Let's walk down the street. Let's walk down the corridors of your life. Let's just have a conversation about these things. Stephen talked about Psalm 139 earlier. Search me, O oh God. Point out the things in my life. Well, if you want me to do that, then we need to have a walk down memory lane. You have to allow me to walk through the corridors of your life and allow me to point out some things that, not be, that might not be lining up with my will and my way. Listen, this pace is absolutely sustainable. And you're not going to miss out on anything. It's not a FOMO situation. There's like 18 people that know what that acronym means, okay? Generation Z is upon us, okay? Fear of missing out. There's a lot of people that feel like God called them to do something. They feel like, if I don't do it now... I'll never be able to do it. And here's the thing. God's call upon your life doesn't have an expiration date. But it does have a start date. If God said you're going to do it, you won't die before you do it. Or it wasn't God's word. It's pretty simple. <laughs> I remember uh, being a youth volunteer at uh, the Potter's House and... Um, uh, the youth pastor at that time had taken our youth ministry incredibly from 80 people to 2,000 people in four years. He was ready to transition and go back on the road, and he came to me a year before his transition and said, Hey, Tim, I'm preparing uh, to transition in a year, 
And uh, I really feel strongly that you are the person that's supposed to take the youth ministry after my uh, season is over. And I remember uh, in that same conversation, just moments later saying, uh, I am completely honored and humbled by your trust and faith in me, uh, but I'm going to have to respectfully decline. I'm not the one that's supposed to take over the youth ministry. He was, he was kind of shocked, and he was going, wait a minute. No, I've, I've groomed you. You're, my, you're like my right-hand man. I've, I've poured into you. The anointing is on you, and, and I think this is for you. And I said, well, there's two reasons why I can't do it. Uh, my marriage is not ready for it, and I'm not ready for it. I was very self-aware at the time that, that where, where my marriage was, being a young uh, married man and, and uh, only had been married about three years, uh, and then there were some, some personal things that God was still healing in me, I knew walking into um, uh, a season with 2,000 young people was not going to be a good fit. So I told him no. Here was the response by every one of my peers. Are you crazy? This is a chance of a lifetime. Man, whatever your problems you have, get counseling, but you better take this position. There, there, there was almost this, 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 this anger coming from my, pe- from my peers that, that was like, I can't believe that you would pass this opportunity. God, because, because this person offered you the position, it must be God. It was laid upon their heart by God to ask me to accept the position. But I had to hear from God to accept the position. Don't think that if you have a spiritual leader or authority in your life, when they ask you to do something, that it automatically means it must be God. Check first. Because we could all just have our favors and go, man, you would be great for this. And if it's not God, it's going to be frustrating for everybody. All you got to do is set your watch. So I went through all of this. I can't believe you turned that down. Blah, 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 blah. Right. So here's what happened. This is very great. I declined it. And uh, five years later, my senior pastor came to me and said, hey, um, we would like to hire you to be a young adult pastor. And my wife and I prayed about it, and we felt like it was the Lord. This was five years after being offered the youth pastor position. So uh, all, all those youth were teenagers at the time. And uh, five years later, what did you... What do you think they were? They were young adults. I got them anyway. I did accept the position. Five years later, when our marriage was solid and I had got some things settled in my heart, and then God opened up the door and blessed the young adult ministry. And it was, it was an, a beautiful four years of my life. At the age of 35, I transitioned from that church. When I transitioned from that church, the Holy Spirit said, uh, I, want you to, I want you to plant a church. And, and I was going, oh, okay. It was five years later. We started Embassy City Church when I was 40 years old. Now, I got saved when I was 20, and there were people that prophesied to me in the first 12 to 14 months of the ministry, you're going to be preaching to thousands, and I see the strong anointing on your life. Can you imagine at 20 years old if I was like, I'm going to start a church now? I've got three prophecies in my pocket, and I wrote them down. 
verbatim, and I can prove it to anybody. I'm starting a ministry now. When God says it, it's not ultimately the time that he's telling you to do it. He walked me through 20 years before he said it's time for you to start the church. And guess what? After 20 years, we started it right on time. Hear me, you will not be late for anything God is telling you to do. He is always on time. Don't arrive early. And then get mad that he didn't show up when you did. Ooh, I'm in here today. Well, Lord, I'm here. I'm ready. I went to ministry school. I'm ble- I'm, I got a degree. The ink is dried. Where, where is the breakthrough? Well, you're, you're, you're two years ahead of me. So just hang out. Just hang out and write blogs and get sermons ready. But it's not time yet. Last story. Um, I've been preaching now for 21 years. Wow. When I first gave my life to Christ, uh, about a year and a half later, I got married. And for the first eight or nine months of being married, I didn't have a job. It was horrible. And I didn't want my wife to think I was lazy and would play video games the whole time that she was at work. Uh, so when she came home every day, I would have two sermons prepared uh, for her to listen to. Because I felt like God had called me to preach. And so if you're a preacher, you preach. If you're a singer, you sing. If you're a writer, you're right. And if you only do it because you have a platform and an audience, then that's not really what you do. Um, so I would, I, would, I would put these sermons down and, and, and preach them to nobody on Memorex tapes. Y'all remember tapes? 45 minutes each side, 90-minute tape, 45 minutes each side. And I'd put it in and press the two buttons down. It's coming back to some of y'all. Y'all having like a Manchurian candidate moment. Push the two buttons down. And I'd preach a, I'd preach a whole sermon on side A. Uh, and then I would flip it over and force myself to take the same passage of scripture and find a completely different angle to come at it from. I'd preach another message on side B. And I did that every day, five days a week for nine months. And I got up to 150 sermons. I remember thinking, these 150 sermons are ready. Like when, When God calls me, I'ma lay people out with these sermons. This stuff is gold. My parents were still living at California, in California at the time, and so the messages uh, uh, I felt uh, had got good enough, so uh, I would mail them back to California. My parents would sell them in the bookstore, and people actually thought I was preaching at a place, but they just couldn't pick up on the audience. <laughs> well, Venetian blinds and curtains can't say amen, so uh, it, it was dead silence, right? They're like, man, that, that church was dead. I mean, you would have thought they would have said amen to some of those points. They're like... There was nobody there, so. Here's the thing. When God started opening doors for me to do ministry, I think there was only five sermons from that 150 that I actually went back to to preach. It was almost like God was saying, 
hey, thank you for waiting for me, for serving faithfully and waiting for me to call you. Now that you have, let me just give you some more revelation. You won't even need those sermons. I got some better ones for you. He's walked me into every blessing I have. And I haven't been late, and I don't compare myself to my peers. I don't go, well, they started when they, and I started later, and they have more people at their church, and we started at the same time, and they're already going to six services, and we barely had two. Okay. This is the pace he has us on. And I'm perfectly okay with it. And if there's anything on the inside of you that feels like, do more. We're ready to go to the next level. And it can't settle down in you. Go run somewhere else. Because here we walk. The Holy Spirit walks. And so should you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more about Embassy City Church, please visit us at embassycity.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Embassy Irving.